Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Brother Steve, for that uh, introduction. I really enjoyed those extra hymns we sang. I think it's nice to sing those praises to God. I know He loves to hear that. It's truly a pleasure to be with you all here this year. I'd like to start off by um, thanking the committee and all those that were responsible for getting this Bible school ready for us. I know it takes a lot of work to put a Bible school together, and you all's labors in the Lord's Vineyard is greatly appreciated. Our subject tonight, as was mentioned, is the faithful of old. And uh, as we had Brother Ernie uh, put a really here for us on starting night, and it had the faithful of old. And the ones that we're going to talk about go back even further than those. In keeping with the theme this year, I'd like to take a look at a few of those mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 and see what role that faith played in their lives. We find Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets of old. And there are some others there that are inferred to. But these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. As we read through these names in Hebrews, and we think about these ancient worthies, these faithful of old, we can think about how their faith in God directed their paths, directed their lives. And then questions arise for us. Are we strangers and pilgrims in the earth? Do we, brothers and sisters, desire a better country that is in heavenly? Are we keeping the faith in the last days? This last question, which is the theme for this year's Bible school, is a very important one for us to ask ourselves. And I believe that having gatherings in Bible schools like this are very important in keeping our quest of keeping the faith until our Lord returns. Every year when we leave a Bible school or a gathering, we never really know if we're going to have the opportunity for another one before the return of our Master. But as we find ourselves here for another year, we must realize how truly blessed we are to have this opportunity to meet together for edification and fellowship. Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 15, tells us, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I really believe that this week here at the Bible School will help each and every one of us to understand more of what the will of the Lord is. As we take a break from our jobs and come out from the world for a few days, we can really focus on the Word and enjoy the fellowship with brothers and sisters that we don't get to see that often. And truly that is a joy. We can energize our spiritual batteries and we can replenish the oil in our lamps, as Brother Max said, so that our light will shine brightly in this dark world. That Ephesians reading told us, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And how true is this? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So we look around us and we see the perilous times that we are living in right now. It seems to me that our Lord's return must be near. So it becomes very important for us to redeem the time and work to help each other stay motivated in the truth. Because we know that time just races by and as you get older, it seems like it goes twice as fast. And the bad thing about time is when it's gone, you can't get it back. So making use of the time that we are given now is an important thing for us to consider. The verses that were given to me for the theme of this year's Bible school was, was read. It was Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and also verses 35 through 37. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. What a great collection of verses for the theme this year. In these verses, we have the important elements of the believer's responsibilities. Holding fast the profession of our faith. Considering one another. Provoking each other unto love and good works. Gathering or assembling together the importance of the ecclesia we can see here, as Brother Sid told us about. Exhorting one another and keeping our confidence. These verses here show the urgency of the believer's duties as time gets closer to our Lord's return. There's a lot of work to do, and we have to get busy. We have been told from previous lectures this week about the importance of faith in our belief system. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Brother Herb told us about Abraham's faith on Sunday. And we think about how important faith was to him and all those brothers and sisters whose names are mentioned in Hebrews. We see that they did, in fact, believe that God existed and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. 
Some of the supposed great minds and theologians of our world would like to convince us that there is no absolute truth today. This seems to be gaining support around the world. It's not really a new concept. It's been around for a while. But they would like us to believe that we are to find the truth within ourselves. That within man lies the answers. And how sad and misdirected are they. They would tell us that the the things in the scriptures are left up to each and everyone's private interpretation. One not being any more right or wrong than the other. But as believers and followers of Christ, we disagree with this idea. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Absolute truth is as real as the air that we breathe and the sun that shines down on us from above. And it's up to us to teach this to our children, to instruct them through our words and through our actions. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. These verses clearly point out to us that there are not many ways to approach our Creator. There are not many interpretations to be accepted, but only one hope and one faith that is acceptable to God. Because as we know, our God is a very specific God. He has shown this to be true all the way down through the stream of time, from the Garden of Eden up to today. We have to come to Him on His terms and in the way that He has prescribed for us. Man's ideas are not important here. Proverbs 16.25, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now in my talk tonight, I, I know we are going to have a little overlap but that's uh, some of these verses, uh, I guess we learn by, <laughs> by, by repeating them. But um, with the topic the way that it was, a lot of our verses are favorite verses. So I apologize for that. But it's, it's all in, in, uh, with a theme. So We have to understand that it's about the supremacy of God and our commitment to Him. The world can't seem to grasp this fact now, but they will in the future. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We understand that it's not important for us to contemplate or figure out what God requires or why He requires the things that He does. It's only important for us to follow His commandments and laws and to keep our belief strong and our faith strong. This is what we're commanded to do. In Ecclesiastes 12:13 it says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man As we have heard this week it's about God manifestation not the promotion of man We find the scriptures teach that faithful obedience is the way that God knows that we love him and his son 
In John 14, 21, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Faith and obedience is mandatory in the life of a believer. And to those who hold to the idea that there is no God, as well as no intelligent design in creation or reward for the righteous, I give to them Psalms 14 and 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, and there is none that doeth good. Now we know that there have been atheists and scoffers and doubters and critics of the truth since the dawn of time. We know how they were a problem for the first believers, and they are still a problem for the believers today. These people that argue the validity of the truth today are just one of the enemies of the faith in the last days. We are also told that there will be those in the household that will drift from the truth. In 1 Timothy 4, starting with verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It's very important for us to try the spirits, to in fact see if they are the truth. This responsibility falls on the shoulders of every one of us. Brother Aaron showed us the duty of the watchman, and this has been passed on to us. As we mentioned earlier about letting our light shine to those around us, We do this with our words as well as with our actions. Our lives should reflect our beliefs. And as we talk to those around us about the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they will probably know if our lives are consistent with the things that we're telling them. We must be leaders, not followers. And we can use these opportunities of of discussing the truth as faith builders for ourselves. I find that in my discussions with those around me, discussing my beliefs, it actually helps to strengthen my faith. It makes me excited about the kingdom. And those who are around me on a daily basis should know that this is important to to me and to us. Do they notice a difference in us? Or is there no difference at all from others in the world? It's important that we share our faith with those we work or have contact with. As we consider our theme verses, we saw in verse 35, it said, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. We look at this confidence as being sure about the truth, not being cocky or arrogant, but having an assurance with our faith. And when I think about confidence, I think, of, I think about Christ as well as our elder brother Paul. In Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Here we can see the confidence that Christ taught with. He taught as one that had full assurance of his belief. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. 
For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto them also that love is appearing. We see here Paul's words of confidence in his faith and in his walk. He shows that victory through faith is also available to all those that love his appearing. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells of some of the perils that befell Paul. He did not have an easy life. He certainly had his share of trials and tribulations in his walk, but he kept the faith. As we look at verse 37 of our theme reading, it says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. This verse makes me think of an expression that I've heard some brothers say, if the Lord delays his return. And I think that we might be careful in using this expression. Brothers and sisters, there is no delay. God's calendar is set, and Christ will return based on God's time, not ours. Because we see in this verse, when it's time for our Lord and Savior to to return, he will come. And he will carry out his Father's will and establishment and establishment of his glorious kingdom. And will, in fact, carry out God's promise to those that have done the will of the Father. As we mentioned before, and look at the signs of the times, the things that's going on in the world. I believe the time for our Lord's return is very near. And as we contemplate the thought of keeping the faith in these last days, we find there are many things that threaten our faith. This week, our brothers have brought some of these things to our attention. James 4, 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We have to watch our ties with the world. And many of these things have been mentioned by our speakers here this week. They have told us about faith breakers. There's a battle raging out there in the world and it's important that we are aware of the dangers that can come up against the followers of Christ. But there are also faith builders. We look at the existence of God's people Israel as a very big one. Just just the, the fact of their existence is a miracle. We know that fulfilled prophecy is a major faith builder because fulfilled prophecy becomes the evidence of things seen. It becomes tangible proof. Seeing God work in our lives personally is also a major faith builder. We need to be concerned with finding things that do build up our faith. We find in the parable given in Luke 18 this same question of keeping the faith being asked. It says, starting with verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Then down at verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? So again here we see this question being asked. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, and the diaglot renders this, will he find the belief, this belief on the land? Well, we hope, brothers and sisters, and friends of the truth, the answer to that question will be yes. As we have in Him 308, shall we behold the promised land? We make the answer now. 
We also find here that this parable shows how we can have faith that God will avenge those He loves. We don't have to waste our precious time on revenge or hate. We can turn that over to God and concentrate our efforts on the positive aspects of our walk. As we think about the theme that was chosen this year, we find in Hebrews the definition of faith, and we've heard this several times. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As followers of Christ, we need to realize the great importance of this faith. We need to understand what faith is and how to maintain it. Again, we see the need for a belief in absolute truth. We as believers take great comfort and put our faith in the fact that God will fulfill a promise of great blessing to those that love Him. In Titus 1 and 2 it says, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It becomes a very important part of our faith knowing that the things that God has promised will be done. We know many times man has a problem fulfilling promises that he makes. However, we know this isn't the case with our Creator. We also need to realize in the believer's life, our faith needs to be matched with works. In James 2, starting with verse 24, ye see then how that by faith, by works, a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And we find that our faith must also be paired with love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. There has to be a balance in our walk to achieve the character that God is looking for. These spiritual characteristics must work in harmony with each other to produce that polished stone that will be used in the habitation of God. In Hebrews, we see many examples of the great faith that our ancient worthies had. They, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We see from these verses here in Hebrews that those early brethren, they took hold and embraced the truth and made faith a very important part of their lives. We find in God's inspired record that these faithful of old, the men and women, performed amazing examples of obedience and faith. And for the sake of time, we can't go into detail on the whole list. But I would like to consider several examples of the faithful of old in Hebrews chapter 11. As we go through chapter 11, there are, there are several names mentioned, and then we have Noah. We have recorded for us the incredible construction of the ark and the preservation of the animals and mankind through the great deluge. I think sometimes that we're so familiar with this story that we forget about the magnitude of this project. Noah was instructed to build a vessel that would be considered even mammoth today. A boat 437 feet long, 73 feet wide, and 43 feet tall. That's incredible, especially for its time. It was one and a half football fields long, and it had a gross volume of 1,400,000 cubic feet. Now, that doesn't mean 
so much to a lot of us when we talk about the volume. But I measured this meeting hall here. And if you consider the length and the width and you go up to the beams where the beams are, it would take 17 of these halls to make the volume of the ark. It had the displacement equal to the 883-foot Titanic cruise ship. And remember, this giant vessel wasn't built in a giant shipyard with the convenience of modern tools that they have now. But it was piece by piece, by hand, constructed over a hundred years in the making. And all of this because something was going to happen that had never happened before on the earth. The evidence of things not seen. Because God was so displeased with man and his wickedness that he was going to destroy him off the earth with water. And Genesis chapter 6 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah had the faith to believe that the events that God told him were going to happen would happen. So Noah built the ark and saved the animals and his family to bring a fresh start to the earth. In Genesis 6.22 it says, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. What an example of faith. What about us? What about our faith? God has revealed to us what's going to happen to the earth again. Are we preparing for this? Do we believe that this is really going to happen? Is our kingdom vision clear and strong? In Proverbs 29:18 it says, "Where there is no vision the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he." On into Hebrews we have Abraham as brother Herb told us about. His faithful journey from Ur to the wilderness unknown. And we know through archaeology that Ur was a very technically advanced city for the time. They had an advanced form of cuneiform writing, and there were actually houses that had running water inside. That's pretty impressive for the time of Abraham. What faith would it take to leave this comfortable existence of their modern city and head out into the desert unknown? And what kind of faith would it take to offer his only son that was miraculously born to him and his wife in their old age? And remember that he had three days of travel to the land of Moriah. Three days to walk along and think about this task that he had to do. As Brother Herb pointed out, Abraham's faith was great and his belief in God was absolute. He believed that the promise made to him would be carried out. And how great would it be to have a faith so strong that you were called the friend of God? James 2.23 What an incredible honor. On down we find Joseph mentioned with the faithful. His life was filled with purpose as we see that time and time again the Lord was with Joseph. He became very important in the preservation of God's people Israel. And because of Joseph's faith and trust in God, he was moved up into a position of leadership in Egypt that in turn saved Israel during the Great Famine. Hebrews tells us of the faith of Moses. Imagine a faith so strong to leave the royalty and riches of Egypt and confront the powerful leader of that great nation to give up their entire slave workforce. And then to lead the exodus of God's people through the desert. This was no small task. Moses had his battles to contend for the faith. He had to battle those that believed not. In Jude, 
verses 3 through 6, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved into everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Contending for the faith is nothing new. Every age has its challenges for the truth. Every age has those that believe not. So what about our age? How are we contending for the faith? Are we keeping the truth that was once delivered unto the saints? Going on into Hebrews, we see Rahab bravely risking her life to save God's scouts because she had faith in the God of Israel. In Hebrews, we see Gideon mentioned, a special man to save Israel from the Midianites. In Judges, it tells of Gideon's victory against overwhelming odds, trusting God to deliver him. He did ask God three times for a sign, but after that, from that point on, he was unwavering in his faith. What kind of faith would it take to lead an army of 300 men against an opposing army of over 100,000 men? <laughs> Those are not real good odds. But we know Gideon had a divine confirmation. In Judges 6, 12, and 16 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So we see that with God on, with the God of Israel on your side, anything is possible. And we know Gideon was successful in the battle. Reading on with the faithful, we see Barak's defeat of Sisera's mighty army. We have Samson's incredible feats of strength and conquest. Again, we see the Spirit of God coming upon him to achieve these great things. He was a special vessel to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. We find Jephthah's Victory over the Ammonites after being kicked out of his house by his family and brothers. And then we have David mentioned here in the Bible's Hall of Faith. Truly David's life is filled with examples of faith. And we know that God was with David early in his life. In 1 Samuel 16:13, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. We know David was a special man in God's plan and his purpose. He displayed great faith many times in his life. But to me, the account of Goliath is my favorite. This really shows the great faith that David had. And we know this story from, from, from when we were little, that Goliath, the champion of the Philistine army, uh, and, and depending on what the length of a cubit is, he was between 9 and 11 feet tall. And that's the height of that that bottom beam at the end of the building there, he could, he could have been that tall. So if you can imagine that. He had been coming down in the morning and the evening and challenging the army of Israel for 40 days, over a month. In 1 Samuel 17, 10 and 11 it says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
And when Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and sorely afraid. Here again we see the king and his seasoned warriors of Israel afraid of this Philistine giant. And I would imagine that the army of Israel probably had some pretty tough guys. In 1 Samuel 17, 24, it said, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him because they were afraid. But what were young David's words when he heard the challenge from this giant man of war with his gigantic weapons? In verse 26, it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Isn't that interesting? Here's a question from a young man who didn't understand why one of Israel's mighty soldiers didn't have enough faith to take up the sword against this powerful heathen giant. And we know that David killed a lion and a bear while he was herding sheep. And David knew that the God of Israel would help him defeat this man that taunted God's army just as God helped him with the lion and the bear. In verses 36 and 37 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, that the Lord that hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Well, as we know, David did go out against Goliath. And we see in these next verses David's great speech of faith. Picking up with verse 45, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give thee, I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hasted and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead, so that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I've read this many, many times, but it always amazes me. David displayed intense courage backed by his great faith in God. Victory was achieved, was achieved here through faith, just as it can be for us when we encounter our Goliaths in life. No matter how outnumbered we are, no matter what size the obstacle, no matter what the odds are, we know that faith can prevail. We must remember that God is as powerful today as he was thousands of years ago. As we think about David, we realize that his walk wasn't perfect. And some of the ancients, the uh, faithful of old, did miss the mark. We know that David fell into the lust of the flesh and transgressed God's laws. His sins were very serious. And because of David's sins, 
he caused many troubles for himself and his house in the years to come. 2 Samuel 12, 9-14 tells of that his life was full of turmoil and never left him. He did not go unpunished. And we do know that David got in trouble again when he numbered the people against God's command, bringing death and sadness to the nation. But we find him being called a man after God's own heart, and we find him listed in Hebrews 11 with the faithful. So as we look at David's life, we learn that we must keep our faith strong when we mess up. When we fall to our weaknesses, and when we fail in our trials, we look to the promise of forgiveness from God when we repent and prayerfully acknowledge our failings and seek His pardon. And we are forever grateful to our Heavenly Father to have this privilege of prayer and forgiveness. These faithful old that we looked at, they all died in faith, being strangers and pilgrims to the secular things of the earth. We see that they had a really good grasp on perspective. They were able to, as the scripture says, lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us, and they ran with patience the race that was set before them. Reading on in Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 40, it says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. We find others mentioned here that may have not had the grand tasks that some of the previous ones did. But they endured trials and persecutions, imprisonment and death. We think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. They too are listed here, keeping the faith. But like the others, they received not the promise, but they will in that day. We also know that there were those that were closest to Christ that had their faith challenged. Remember Peter when he went out to Christ on the water in Matthew 14. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they, were the, then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Christ has his hand outstretched to us to help us when our faith wavers and when we start to sink. In him we see the ultimate example of faith. Faithful in respect of no personal sins and complete obedience and trust in his Father even to the point of dying to fulfill his Father's will. Christ knew what had to transpire, and we find in his prayer in Gethsemane, Christ going to his Father, seeking to be relieved from the pain of his horrible death. In Matthew 26, 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this, cap, let this cup pass from me. However, when we read on, it says, 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Again, we see here Christ putting faithful service ahead of his personal fears. Christ had the ability to see what was in store for him, for him his coming joy. And he also had the faith to trust that his Father would give him the strength to get through it. In Hebrews 12:2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we see it's interesting how many times when Jesus healed both Jews and Gentiles that it mentioned faith was such an important part of the success of the healing. In the account of the centurion in Matthew 8, it says, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so it, is, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed that selfsame hour. Again and again we see him telling them, Thy faith hath made thee whole, because they believed in Jesus. We have to be careful in the household today of things that can wreck our faith. Our brothers uh, this week have been warning us of some of these. And things can be very subtle. They can start off seemingly harmless. Things can be let go to keep from hurting feelings or causing contention. But in the end, these subtle things can cause great destruction. And we know that in the reference of time, we are in the Laodicean era. And this truly is a tough time for the believer. In our ultra-tolerant society, we have to be careful that our ecclesias don't become ultra-tolerant. This era is also bad for affluential apathy. We need to be careful not to believe the Laodicean lie that says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We can't let ourselves get to the point where we feel self-sufficient, that we no longer need God. This is where many in the world are today. But what about our ecclesias? Do they feel self-sufficient? Because the rest of that verse says, And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This actually is where the world is now. Again we ask the question, Do we, brothers and sisters, desire a better country that isn't heavenly? The world would teach us that money solves all the problems. But God tells us in 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that would be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
We must, brothers and sisters, fight the good fight of faith. We must follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. We are separate from the world, strangers and sojourners. And so we can't measure ourselves against the world. You know, sometimes we look around us and we think we're doing pretty good. But what standards are we using? Our example is Christ. In the Laodicean era, there is no instant punishment or retribution for living lives that are not consistent with the teachings of Christ. Sadly, this can allow the believers to get apathetic. We see the steps of digression. First, there is an abhorrence to evil things. Then a toleration. And this finally leads to embracing those things that God hates. We find as end times approach, it becomes harder and harder to remain unspotted from the world as we are instructed. We understand, as we read before, that it will be as it was in the days of Noah when Christ returns. And we know that in Noah's time, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, so that every thought and imagination of his heart was only evil continually. We are at this point now. Our Christian nation's downward spiral continues. We see our support of Israel dropping, the Muslim belief gaining more more support every day. Laws are being passed in support of same-sex marriage. Homosexuality is being accepted by society in general. And heterosexual marriages are being abandoned for the convenience of living together. Laws have legalized abortion, and every day more of, our, more of the leaders of our country are being caught up in extramarital affairs and illegal activities. What's next? We think back about the fall of the Roman Empire. Overtaxation and immorality. Wow. As it was in the days of Noah. So God hates the workers of iniquity, and we know he's quite unhappy with man and the things that are going on now. The believers watch as society fails with sadness and also with excitement. We are saddened by the immorality and toleration of society and how the humanism is taking control of our world. But it brings excitement too because we understand and know that this is what will be happening when our Lord returns. Even the physical changes happening to the earth are exciting, as some of the brothers have talked about already, as we see God physically preparing the earth for his coming kingdom. So as we think about the faithful of old, our elder brothers and sisters that successfully fought that fight so many years ago, we should try to remember the great faith that these people showed in their lives, leaving us an example today of what can be done with a strong faith in God. Their great faith led them into God's grace, and it left a legacy for the future believers to follow. When we look at what they endured, when we look at what they achieved, we may feel like our faith fails in comparison with theirs. But brothers and sisters and young people, be not discouraged. We may not be called upon to build an ark. We may not be asked to leave our comfortable homes and wander into the unknown. We may not have to wrestle a lion or a bear or fight a gigantic, fierce champion of war or to engage an army that's 400 times the size of ours. But we must remember that if our faith is that of a mustard seed, I have a 
I actually have some mustard seeds. I'm going to see if I can. Pretty small. That's um, some dimes that are laying on there as a comparison in size. But if our faith is as much as one of these tiny seeds, we can move mountains. We can win our battles against the flesh. And we must remember that even the smallest tasks in the Lord's vineyard are important. The way that we treat each other is very important. Christ told us in Matthew 25 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So if you have done things for the body and the brotherhood of Christ in some form, it is the same as having done it unto Jesus. And if that be so, what what greater honor can you give God than to honor his son? That is putting your faith to work in a successful manner. So continue on. Redeem the time. Profess your faith. And strive to enter in at the straight gate so that we are not the weepers and gnashers mentioned in Luke chapter 13. Because how sad it would be to see the faithful of old take their place in God's glorious kingdom and see ourselves thrust out. So let's help and encourage each other to remain strong. Let's continue to be vigilant in prayer, filling our lamps with oil and ourselves with the bread of life, sustaining our energy for the battle that is left before us. And let us help each other keep the faith in these last days so that we, brothers and sisters, may find our names listed among the faithful of old. Thank you.